Hello and welcome to this Renwick Centre podcast. This is actually our last podcast for the year. So thank you so much for being with us. We thought we should bring back an old friend to our podcast series. And when we think about Neryl Horn, we know that she's an expert in telepractice. She provided two of the sessions for us already this year. But Neryl, do you want to just introduce yourself for anyone who is new to the podcast? Hi, well, I'm Neryl and I work at uh, RIDBC Remote Service and we've been using telepractice here for, um, let me think, 13, 14 years, something like that, with rural and remote Australia and a little bit overseas too. So I'm a speech pathologist and I've come into the field of hearing impairment um, to uh, work and, and it's been really interesting taking telepractice on as a strategy. Right. And know we support people who are deaf or hard of hearing, you know, there's, there's a variety of approaches that we can take. And some people choose an approach with a visual language, others choose an auditory approach, and some people even combine the two or use an alternative communication to utilise technology to support that communication. And we know at RIDBC, we're one of the few organisations in Australia that actually provide the full continuum of language support, both students who use um, Auslan all the way through to, to children who use listening and spoken language as their communication strategies. And one of the ways that we support the development of listening and spoken language is through uh, auditory verbal therapy, which is a a strategy which has been supported with certification by the AG Bell Academy of Listening and Spoken Language. And today we're going to talk a little bit more around this, Neryl. And we think about your background, we think about the fact that you've introduced yourself as a speech pathologist who's been working in education. You've, I know that you lived in a signing community while you're overseas and you've consulted in auditory oral mainstream education classes in Sydney. You've worked in literacy related speech and language intervention with an emphasis on auditory processing of speech. You've actually got a Cert 4 in Ausland, and you're a sort of certified AV therapist. There's only a handful of us signing AV therapists in the world, and somehow you made it through your audiology class without in uni without actually reading that green book by Dan Ling. And <laughs> is it safe to say you've got a loyalty problem? <laughs> I definitely have a loyalty problem, Trudy. I hate loyalty cards in shops too. Um, I think I would actually be a terrible politician because I'm really uncomfortable with unquestioning loyalty to a particular position, you know, particularly when it comes to multifaceted, dynamically complex processes like human communication or learning or literacy. So when I was deciding whether or not to do the CERT AVT through the AG Bell Academy, I was actually really conflicted. Um, I know that Others feel the same way about AVT, but um, I want to challenge people to not judge a book by its cover, even if the cover has the name Dan Ling or <laughs> Harlan Lane on the cover. So, so talk to me about that conflict. Well, firstly, speech pathology taught me to think about communication development in terms that are ultimately motivated I think, by comprehension. So that is working towards understanding the meaning of language, whichever language, signed or not signed. Okay, so whatever language. And using intelligible language to communicate with others. So the idea of 
putting my hand across my mouth to talk to someone, frankly, back then seemed irresponsible to me. Um, secondly, signing or some other form of visual communication seemed natural and indeed essential. And again, with language comprehension uppermost in my mind. And I thought that auditory verbal therapy meant sitting on my hands. And it sounded like it had overtones of 1880, if people are aware of in the history. conference in Milan. Yeah, and I was uncomfortable with that. Um, I was working in an auditory oral program for children with hearing loss at the time. And I knew that there are students who need more than just learning to listen because they had other things going on in their development uh, in addition to their hearing loss, albeit sometimes the additional issues were related to the hearing loss. And I guess lastly, <laughs> with a lot of work, um, and there's a lot of commitment to get through the certification process. So it's not a decision I entered into lightly. But it's a decision that you did make. I did. I did it. Well, we did it. I had two other RIDBC staff members at remote services at the time who did the certification with me um, and huge support from my mentor, Melissa McCarthy, and also from all the other CERT AVTs who were here at the time. So that we had benefited from the knowledge of Alan Kelly and Kay Hooper, Lynn Richards, Robbie Cantlemore, um, Jill Duncan and yourself, Trudy. So RIDBC is a great environment to tackle this certification because you've got support. Yeah, and it's probably good to note that Robbie Cantlemore isn't a CERT AVT, but her knowledge in child development and early language development has been so crucial in building all of our knowledge in this area. Yeah, she, she was the one that told me that I didn't actually have to sit on my hands. I could be more realistic than that. <laughs> Permission to use your hands, absolutely. But it is a big process, three to five years of your time. So why did you stick with the process? What's in it for you? What's in it for me? Well, um, I'll, I will confess that I started the process because I'm married to an American and I thought that we might possibly end up living in the States <laughs> for a while. So I needed a qualification that would be recognised in the States, just in case. And, 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 and just in case, did you go? No, only for holidays so far. <laughs> <laughs> but you still took the three years of your life to go through the mentoring and study programs that were offered, um, that followed the, the um, requirements of the AG Bell Academy. Yes, in fact, I also um, did four subjects here at Rennick College, where which were focused on auditory verbal learning. Uh, and we have a fabulous library here at Rennick, which has everything, even the dreaded green book. Even the green book. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the big question that some people will be thinking about now is you're a qualified speech pathologist. Why to go to that much effort to train what's essentially just a particular therapy approach? Yeah, I'm so glad that I did, Trudy, because the learning that happens along the way is applicable to so much of what we do. And I think if I ever returned to mainstream speech pathology practice that isn't um, focused on hearing loss, I think I would use the AV approach as the foundation of my practice there too. 
it does become such an integral part of just what you do and how you think about language, yeah. I agree. So for those who, who are unfamiliar with the process, talk me through the study that's involved. Well, there are nine domains which we study in this in the ABT certification process. And we're going to pop those in the show notes so that people can read those. Excellent. Those study domains are comprehensive from the perspective of learning to use audition in order to develop spoken language. So there are no sign language topics and the, the history domain is focused on auditory learning, not on signing history or deaf culture. So that's a given. Um, but we have other ways to get that information, uh, especially here at RADBC. We have lots of ways to learn um, the culture and uh, history side of deaf culture. For me, some of the domains were really in-depth revision because I'd done my speech pathology training, like uh, detailed child language development, uh, phonetic transcription, play development and other areas. But I really benefited from domains that were focused on the link between audiology and speech acoustics. So um, the sequence of auditory development, that's not something that I had studied in detail. The variety of audiological conditions that there are and their implications which took me way beyond the audiology that I knew from university. Learning to analyze the link between speech acoustics and speech development. And this was really key for me too. This was a revelation. Yeah, yeah. Um, understanding speech perception and what listening skills kids need in school. Um, and looking back, I think, I would have benefited a lot as a speech pathologist in general practice if I'd been asking some of those questions. Um, and another area that was important to me was parent training and coaching methods. We need to be empowering parents and carers and mainstream teachers to drive the intervention rather than working with the child ourselves and then sending them home with some games which sit on the dining room table for a week, most likely. Um, and perhaps I guess most of all, AVT is characterised by learning to approach the whole process with the goal of maximising the person's use of sound, speech sound. So when I'm working with a family where speech and spoken language is maybe unlikely to develop, I can still use the knowledge that I gained in order to maximise the listening skill that person um, so that they can learn to use the hearing that they do have available to them through their uh, equipment. So you, you come to the ABT process as a speech language pathologist. I'm a teacher of the deaf and I'm curious about your perspective of teachers and teachers of the deaf and, and what they bring when they, they're working through the ABT certification process. Yeah, I've had a lot of conversations about this along the way. One of my AVT buddies when I trained was a teacher of the deaf. Uh, and I mentored some AVT candidates in recent years. And one was a speech pathologist and the other was a teacher of the deaf. And I think, really, we just struggle with different things. I think the teachers benefit more 
possibly from the domains that focused on speech development and phonetics and the speech acoustics side of things, uh, because it's just not as common in their training or their experience. But they are much more comfortable with the literacy topics, the education and the parent guidance aspects. Um, one thing that crops up often, I think, is the way teachers are very comfortable with top-down approaches to learning, but speeches, it's all bottom-up and we think bottom-up in terms of learning processes. So we really need both when we're working with audition. In terms of audiologists, incidentally, I think they are much more comfortable with the idea of comprehension, inverted commas, referring to something a bit different to what speech pathologists think comprehension is. Um, and that is the recognition of the auditory signal by the brain, rather than only seeing comprehension in relation to language processing. And I think it's an important distinction for us to be aware of. Yeah. I think we both agree that learning that happens on the way through the certification process is really valuable, even of itself, even if you don't end up going through the exam or anything like that. Can you speak a little bit to that? Definitely. Um, and remember that you get to watch and learn from an experienced practitioner in this process um, while having to watch, while having them watching you with working with families, you also benefit from watching them. Um, and you have a mentor to guide you through a structured process of learning. Is that what you found, Trudy? I did. I found I actually came to ABT seven or eight years into my teaching profession and found just the opportunity to really focus on my practice, watching videos, having the opportunity to learn from experienced mentors, learning more about the field, digging much deeper into, as you said, issues around speech development, speech acoustics, the relationship between speech acoustics and speech development and comprehension. I just found it an incredibly valuable opportunity. I really feel like my practice improved exponentially as a result of just that opportunity to really stop and focus on what I was doing. I found it to be really valuable. And well, we, we both went through the exam process and came out the other side with that qualification. I just found it really, really useful. And I hmm. really encourage people to consider this as, as a way to both improve your practice and come out with a, a qualification. And the RIDBC Rennick Centre, we actually do offer um, CERT ABT training to teachers of the deaf, speech pathologists and audiologists, if that's something you're interested in pursuing. And our contact details are always on the Rennick Centre podcast. And please get in touch with me if that's something that you want to talk to. But I just want to have one last question for you, Nero. Mm -hmm. Do you regret not reading the green textbook when you were at uni? <laughs> Oh, you know, years ago, to my shame, Trudy, I was once quite dismissive of the ideas that a teacher of the deaf suggested for a child in her class at one of the schools that I worked in, because she said she was following Daniel Ling's hierarchy. Oh, the I thought <laughs> more up-to-date learning was called for in, you know, the 1990s, as it was then. But had I read it, I would have known how far ahead of his time Daniel Ling was because in chapter one, I think I discovered him talking about phonological awareness, which we thought we were coming to terms with in the 90s, but he was already there. Um, 
what has changed for us, I think, is the technology we're using to gain access to the speech signal. But the principles of teaching the brain to listen are still as relevant as ever. So I would recommend that people in our field read it. Um, and if you're going to read it, you may as well get credit for it by doing the CERT AVT. Hey. Cannot recommend that highly enough. And as I said, please get in touch with us if this is something you would like to talk more about or learn more about. And we'll put the links in the show notes. Thank you, Neryl, so much for your time and for joining us a number of times through this year and, and being a regular friend to the podcast. Mm, thanks, Trudy. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for 2020 in what has been a, a strange year. But the beauty of, of COVID is that online discussions and conversations like this still got to happen. And so we're grateful for your company this year. We look forward to talking to you again as of February 2021, wishing you a safe, joyous and relaxing break. And we look forward to talking to you next year. You all take care.